Okay. Hey, that's better. Okay, now let's try this again. Good morning, and welcome to the very soggy gathering of Recreate Church. Although, all y'all look dry, I think it's just me (laughs) that's soggy this morning. I'm thankful to be coming to you here live in the parking lot. You know, what a, what a funny week it's been. Did you get the hailstorm? Some of us got the hailstorm. I see some heads nodding. Some of y'all got the golf ball size hail. Some of y'all who live just a little further out are like, we live in God's country. He doesn't send plagues of hail upon us. Just kidding. It's a, a fantastic week to be a part of this. And I'm always excited every week to find out who's here and I always get surprises, so I'm, I'm really thankful to see some folks this morning that, that have been around I didn't know. It's, this parking lot service thing is not maybe what we would have chosen if we were picking this out, you know. When we started Recreate three and a half years ago, the idea of uh, standing out in the rain preaching on a street corner was not really in the plans, i got to admit that, but God is blessing it. You know, next year... Uh, things may be different. We hope they're quite a bit different. As for this year, people have been asking, well, are we going to get to do the services inside next week for Easter? That would be great, but we're not quite ready for that, and the inside's not quite ready for us. But let me give God the glory. This time last year, we weren't able to have live services at all at Easter because COVID just had busted out, and we hadn't been prepared, and the best I could do is make a video message for you. So we're already doing better than that this year. Can you believe it is already the week before Easter? Snuck up on you, didn't it? Snuck up on me. Debbie and I were talking about this morning. You know, this is the least prepared for Easter I've probably been in the whole time I've been a preacher. But something tells me God's prepared. This is the week before Easter, which some folks call Palm Sunday. It is so called because of the story of how Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and they welcomed him like they would welcome a king. They laid palm branches down in the road. They even laid their own clothing down in the road, laid their jackets down in the road to kind of make a carpeted roadway for him as he rode in on that donkey. I know that sounds to us not very regal. Riding on a donkey doesn't sound like a thing a king would do to us. But in that time, the monarchy of Israel was associated. There was some imagery associated with donkeys and with with palm branches. So they greeted him as a king. But if you know the story, less than a week later, the one they greeted as a king was hanging on a cross. Goes to show us that people can turn pretty quick. The folks that show you appreciation today might not feel the same tomorrow. This whole pandemic has kind of reminded us that. You remember in the early days of the pandemic when... um, When the, the frontline workers were, were really getting a lot of gratitude, you know, the folks who work at uh, cash registers and retail, you know, there was a lot more folks saying, giving some appreciation to the people whose jobs kept the rest of us able to buy groceries. I don't know about the people at your house, but the people who live at my house get sort of grumpy when we don't have groceries, and maybe... Um, Their standards aren't as low as mine for what constitutes food. You know how it is. There's no food in this house. There's usually food in the house. It's just not food that meets your standards. So 
that's when you lower your standards and try again. And you keep repeating the process until your standards are low enough to eat whatever you have. But I am still so thankful that the grocery stores stayed open during the pandemic. And in those early days of the pandemic, people were like, oh, I'm so thankful for you guys. You know, you're heroes being out here. But what, what happened to that? You don't really hear that anymore, do you? The appreciation for the, the frontline employees, the, the people who would have the most potential exposure to anything. You just don't, you don't hear that much right now. So uh, what, what happened? The appreciation didn't last. This time last year, we began to be familiar with uh, a term called essential workers. You've heard that, right? Essential workers, the people whose jobs were necessary in order for the kind of everybody in society to function. And some of the ones that I've already mentioned are people like frontline workers, retail workers who are able to sell us groceries or gas or whatever else we need. Also, rescue personnel, police officers and firefighters and rescue squad folks, people in the medical field, folks like that are certainly essential. Educators, postal workers, the people delivering your Amazon Prime packages. Couldn't get along without them. Essential. Also included in essential folks are are people like farmers and truckers and folks who work in manufacturing. You know, a lot of our church family is going to fall in one of those essential categories. I'm looking at a lot of essential people. But let me tell you right now, even if the world does not look at you and label you as essential, God believes you're essential to his purposes. He doesn't want to do this thing without you. And even if the world around you doesn't show you gratitude necessarily for your contribution, God does, and he will reward. One of the lessons of the pandemic is that, well, the folks who often make the biggest contribution don't always get the appreciation that they should. Our, our society has the audacity to simultaneously tell people they are essential and not treat them like they're essential. It's really something. Um, have you ever felt, oh man, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to open a can of worms. If you are sitting in a car with somebody in your family, be careful. Maybe you don't answer this one out loud, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You might just have to answer it in your heart. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Please don't look at your spouse or family member, all right? Have you ever felt, okay, if not unappreciated, underappreciated, like, like you do some essential things, maybe in your job or in your work or in your circle, and you don't get the appreciation you deserve? Okay, everybody's felt that. Everybody's felt that. Now the danger is past. You, you can look your spouse or whoever's in the car with you in the eye again, and you don't have to worry about them hitting you because we're past that now. I want to tell you that if you've ever felt unappreciated, then you're in good company. Some of the greatest heroes in the Word of God went through seasons where they were essential but unappreciated. One of them is named David. David, who we talked about last week. David is this great warrior king. God's going to use him in incredible ways. He's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's going to go down in history as the greatest hero the nation has ever seen, the greatest military leader. And yet he went through a season of life where he was essential but unappreciated. He was providing an essential service, and yet it was forgotten pretty quickly, or it appeared to be. 
anyway, his he's you're going to see him working for a king. He was an essential worker for a king, and what he did for the king was truly essential. But one chapter later, it's kind of like he's forgotten. The king doesn't even recognize him. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're beginning at verse 14. That's the chapter we began last week. I will be going through this text kind of line for line. So if you want to follow along in that, if you've got a, a physical Bible with you or you want to follow along in a digital copy on, on a cell phone or a device. So uh, I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to pray for us. This is 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from the Lord is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the harp. And it shall be that he will play with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me... Now a man who can play well and bring him to me. We're going to pause there, and I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, pray in Jesus' name that you'll speak to us through these words and help us to see that no matter how the world views us, you have called us essential to your purpose. And may we have the heart to do what's right even when we don't feel so appreciated. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that scripture I read, it's it's kind of weird at first. We, we read this, uh, the Lord sent a distressing spirit. It, this passage begins with the reminder of how the previous king or how the current king had fallen from grace. Saul, S-A-U-L, was the first monarch of Israel, and he got a good start. He did good things at first, but all too soon, it was proven that, that Saul, when it came down to it, he wasn't so good at listening to the Lord. The Lord told him to do some very specific things, and he decided to do things his own way. And, you know, we're probably guilty of some of that too. The problem is when we insist on doing things our way and not listening to God, might, God might just let us have our way at some point. And although that sounds good, you don't, you don't want that. Saul didn't want that. Saul really kept turning away from God so much that we read that sad statement in verse 14. Well, we read that, uh, I think it's in the previous verse, we, we read that the Spirit of God has, has um, departed from Saul. Hold on, got to turn a very wet page here in my notes. You see, we, we read that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul, but the context, the background of that is that Saul had turned from the Lord a long time ago. He'd walked away from the Lord long before this, and, and it, that's really what happened. It's not as if the Lord said, I'm just, nah, I don't want to hang out with Saul anymore. No, Saul had decided that he wasn't going to do things God's way, and he was going his own way. And because God, because uh, Saul had so often rejected the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was no longer with him to guide him and to protect him. Now that's a problem because it opens him up to the forces of evil. Now we read that a distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. What do we make of that, y'all? That sounds 
weird to me. Does that sound weird to anybody else? Does God really send some kind of evil spirit to bother someone? Well, when we consider the context of the whole Bible, we can make sense of what's going on here with Saul. The forces of evil already wanted to get their claws in Saul. This distressing spirit is from the Lord only in the sense that the Lord allowed it. The bad guys already wanted to get at Saul. It's not like God went looking to give Saul some trouble. He merely got out of the way. The devil knows if he, if he can get claws in a person who has some kind of leadership position, then he can cause all kinds of trouble. God simply moved out of the way and let the devil get at Saul, whereas he had kept a hedge of protection around him before. God is lifting the hedge of protection, and now the devil is able to touch him. That is enough to make us very uncomfortable. Anybody else feel kind of uncomfortable with that thought? Yeah. In our culture, we don't like to think about any kind of evil spirits, but it's not as though we don't like the idea that there's something out there that's you know, supernatural. I mean, a lot of us find comfort in the idea that there's angels, that God sends angels to look after us. And even for someone who's maybe not really to call something an angel or, or even believe a lot of what we believe, most people like the idea that there's some kind of good forces out there who are on our side. I, I don't know if you want to call it karma or whatever the New Age term is. That's really not my thing. But most people, even if they don't believe in the Lord, believe that there's something out there and they hope it's on their side. We just don't like the idea of something out there not being on our side, something out there that would pick on us or harass us. As much as we would rather not think about it, we do have an enemy. Not all of the evil in this world is caused by humans. We have an accuser, the devil. The devil opposes us. He seeks to attack us. He walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is a liar and an accuser and a murderer from the beginning, and he's going to get at us if we can. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? But we do not have to be afraid. Because if you are in the family of God, he has placed a hedge of protection around you, and nothing can get to you unless the Lord allows it to touch you. And the only thing he's going to allow to touch you is something that he can turn to good. Our understanding of what is good may not be the same as his. I confess that. But the fact of the matter is we have a God who loves us. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're part of the family of God, nothing can touch you unless God is allowing it. And he only is going to allow things that he is going to turn to good. Even in the case of Saul, I think if... Saul had turned from what he was doing, the story might have turned out very differently. Of course, we won't know because he did what he did. He kind of sort of turned back a few times. He said he was sorry a few times, but by and large, Saul kept going back and doing the same old things over again. He would not listen to the Lord. In my life, I believe I can recognize a few times the Lord has lifted the hedge of protection just a little bit and let the devil take a swipe at me. And some of those times, I'm pretty sure the Lord allowed as a wake-up call. Have you ever got a wake-up call in your life? 
that you're doing some things that, man, this isn't really what the Lord wants in my life, and, and the Lord lets something touch you a little bit, the devil takes a swing at you, and even if he only grazes you, it's a wake-up call. It might be our sign that there's something going on that shouldn't be, and we need to deal with it. Man, I have had my share of that. I don't want to do that anymore. Then there's been other times in my life that I think the Lord has allowed me to experience some hardship, not necessarily as a wake-up call because I was doing something wrong, but as a reminder that if I don't have him on my side, I'm not going to make it. That's a fact of the matter for all of us, folks. Some of y'all have already lived through things that there's no way you could have made it through without the Lord on your side. Some of you may be even dealing with them right now. So if we're experiencing some hardship and we wonder, even if the devil is trying to take a swing at us, remember, God is on your side. God is looking out for him. Call upon the name of Jesus, and we're going to see the devil flee. So as you can imagine, if there's this distressing spirit coming at Saul, and it's starting to mess with his head. It's really getting to him, and, and he, he begins to become paranoid and dangerous and violent. I bet you've worked for a bad boss at some time in your life. You probably worked for a boss that, well, you wish he or she would have done differently. But I bet you've never worked for a boss that would flip out and throw spears at you. Because that's what Saul is going to do a little later in this story. I, you know, I, I've been thankful. I've for most of my career, I worked for some pretty good folks. None of them have even threatened to throw a spear at me. I'm, I'm real grateful for that. But even if I did, I haven't had to deal with somebody like, like Saul. So these people who work in Saul's court, they're really concerned. They're afraid what's going to happen. If Saul had lived in our time, the spiritual element of his issues probably wouldn't be recognized. He, he'd probably be put on some magic medication and told to hope for the best. And, and you know, it might have helped him a little bit. But there was something more going on here. Even today, it's worth considering that maybe some of our psychological struggles do have a spiritual component. I cannot speak for everyone. If you've got something going on, you need to talk to your doctor about it, absolutely. But I will say for my part and in my life and in my story, some of the times that I have wrestled with the darkness the most, it's because I needed to deal with something spiritual. There was something spiritual that wasn't right in my life that I needed to deal with. So it's worth considering. Well, these folks who worked for Saul, they didn't have any good medical options. And Saul was not willing to deal with his spiritual problems. So they've got to come up with a plan. They're worried about him, and they're worried about themselves. How would you feel if, you know, the guy you work for is throwing spears at people? And you also can't quit, because if you quit, he'll throw a spear at you. You, you, it's not a good story. So they're trying to decide what to do. And they get their heads together and they say, well, maybe we can get the king to hire a musician. And if the musician plays some really soothing music, maybe that will help improve his mood and that will, that will be better. Can you relate to that? Do you have some music that you play when you're down that lifts you back up? I, I got some music that I play. It, well, sometimes I, the music that I play when I'm really down is not going to help me. Um, sometimes when I get pretty down, I, I play some nineties grunge rock. Some of y'all don't know what that is, but, uh, if you hear me blasting, um, black hole sun and Nirvana and the smashing pumpkins, pray for me. Cause you know, I'm having a bad day. Um, 
pretty soon I get over that and I put on some good worship music and I get my head and my heart back in the right place and, and then we're all right. But I usually go through that one phase of playing music that's probably not going to make it better. So they have the idea, hey, let's play some music for him. Maybe that will help him. So they go to Saul and they tell him that and, and he says, okay, find me somebody. Find someone who's a good musician. One of the servants who is unnamed speaks up and, and he suggests David come and be the musician. Some of these things he is going to say about David must be things that God told him because David hasn't done them yet. Some of the qualities of David that this servant is going to speak of are things he has not yet proven. So this is kind of prophetic. Let's read in verse 18. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen Jesse... I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, the story doesn't tell us how this person knew David. I kind of doubt that David was putting on public concerts, but maybe. Or maybe this guy was just one of those hipster music fans who knows all the good bands before they get famous. I, I don't know. This guy could rightly say that David was skilled at the harp because he had heard him. And anybody with eyeballs that function could tell you that David was handsome. However, this man also said that David was a mighty man of valor and a man of war. But David has yet to prove that. Yes, he has fought off some wild animals that were attacking his father's sheep. But so far as we know, he's never fought a war against human beings. So we don't know. This must be a prophetic word that this man is speaking over him. And as for being prudent in speech, David had written some song lyrics, but he had probably never addressed a crowd in a speech at this point. But the last line is the most important. Look there at the end of verse 18. That last line is more, most important, the most important thing of all. It matters above all else. The Lord is with him. The Lord was with David. That is the most important quality that you need to know. The Lord was with him and he was with the Lord. Hear me now. Hear me now. Even if nothing else in your life seems to be going in your favor, if the Lord is with you, you are in a favored position. You catch that? You having a bad day? Things going wrong? If the Lord is with you, you are favored I know some of those TV preachers say, oh, you're blessed and highly favored. And they're referring to things maybe that I think God can probably do better than some of what's being referred to there. But I'm telling you right now, if the Lord is with you, you are blessed and highly favored. And you don't have to have a lot of money in your bank account for that to be true. Praise the Lord. This passage starts out telling us how the Lord had departed from Saul. And now we hear that the Lord is with David. That's the biggest difference between these two. The difference between this man who is really in a bad place and this man who's really about to be blessed was the Lord is with them and they are with the Lord. So let's read in verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him and loved him greatly. He loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. 
And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take the harp and play with it in his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So David was recruited as a musician, and when he played for Saul, lo and behold, the distressing spirit went away. Now, I have heard of other stories, at least one other time, when the devil was defeated by a musician. But I cannot verify that one. But I heard one time the devil went down to Georgia, and he lost a fiddling match. I can't prove that one happened, but I, do, I know this one happened. Um, David was really good at the harp, no doubt. But I suspect there's something more going on here. David had a secret weapon that was greater than any evil spirit, a weapon that would overpower any evil spirit, any distressing spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with David. The Spirit of the Lord was so strong on David that this evil spirit of distress could not stick around. Chased it off. Man, how about that? Wouldn't you like it if the Holy Spirit would come and chase off some distressing spirits from your life too? Well, let me tell you this. You and I may not ever be as heroic as David. You might be. I wouldn't wait around on it. However, you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit at a level David never could have. Back in those days before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit would rest upon a person, would be on the person, and it was a temporary blessing. The temporary blessing of the presence of the Holy Spirit could be taken away as it was with Saul. However, in this new covenant era, Those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not just upon you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, not temporarily, but forever and ever and ever. This means the Spirit of God goes with you wherever you go. It means you are never, ever alone in the fight. There is a power within you that is greater than anything the devil can throw at you. It doesn't mean you won't be harassed, but it does mean you don't ever have to be defeated. What is darkness anyway? Darkness is merely a place where there is no light. And if the light is within you, the darkness cannot overcome you. There may be times when the enemy is after you, when the forces of evil harass you, and that's a pretty uncomfortable thought, but it is very much real. You can call upon the name of Jesus, and at the name of Jesus, y'all, demons tremble. Sometimes I think the devils have more faith than we do because they really believe in the full power of Jesus to the extent that they tremble at his name. You and I ought to rejoice at his name. So David brought the Holy Spirit with him and chased the evil spirits of distress right out of there. Now, what spirits need to be chased off today? What needs to be chased off out of our lives today? May the Holy Spirit chase away the distressing spirits of depression and addiction and anxiety and fear and unforgiveness. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Don't speak it aloud unless you feel led to. At least speak it in your heart. Just speak that thing in your heart that you would like to see the Holy Spirit chase out of your life or your family or your situation. To speak that word in your heart right now. Lord, I, I want to see the Holy Spirit chase this spirit out of 
my family, my situation. I'm thinking of my word right now. You think of your word right now. What do we want the Holy Spirit to chase out? I'm praying that the Lord will chase this spirit of, and he knows what it is, out of my family, of my life, of my situation. So here's David. He's taking on an essential role in the court of the king. He's an essential worker. He's literally the guy keeping the king from losing his mind. It's a really important role. And for a while, King Saul seems to appreciate David. He does some things for him. However, only one chapter later, 1 Samuel 17, during that famous fight with Goliath, Saul is going to have to be reintroduced to David. He's like, who is this boy who's going to fight Goliath? Do I know him? Uh, well, sir, he's kind of worked for you for a few years. Uh, maybe you've sometime worked at a place where you've been there a while and maybe they don't really know you like they should. But it, it might be that David didn't recognize or Saul didn't recognize David because he wasn't where he expected him to be. You know, he was in a role that he didn't expect. He, he saw David as a court musician. He didn't know he was a fighter. Kind of like, um, you know, you see somebody in a place you don't expect them. There's a gas station I go to all the time, and I see this guy in there who owns a place. And I saw him at the post office the other day. And he's like, he looks at me, and I look at him, and I'm like, Wait, we're in the wrong place. We're supposed to be at the gas station. That's where I always see you. Do you remember being a kid in elementary school and seeing your school teacher somewhere other than the school? And you're like, I thought you lived at the school, Miss Gardner. You don't live at the school? No. I remember a few years ago when I was preaching in a, in an environment where they required me to wear a suit. Boy, I don't miss wearing a suit. I'm just going to say that right now. Ain't nothing in the Bible about wearing a suit. And I'll fight you on that one. But anyway, I used to have to wear a suit all the time. And I remember I was out somewhere, and one of the church kids saw me, and I spoke to him, and they looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And I didn't know what in the world was going on. She said, why are you dressed like that? I said, dressed like what? I probably looked about like this. And she said, um, where's your suit? Girl, I don't wear a suit all the time. Y'all would be wigged out if you saw me wearing a suit. Because y'all know there's two occasions that get me in a suit these days. Somebody's getting married or somebody's getting buried. All right? And so far as I know, we don't have any weddings scheduled. And if y'all could just keep on living, I'd appreciate it. All right? Because I don't want to wear a suit. If you can do that for me, if for no other reason, if you need no other reason to live, is just keep your preacher from having to wear a suit. All right, that sound all right? That work for you? All right, there you go. You got something to, you didn't have something to live for. You do now, but kind of the point is, maybe, uh, maybe Saul didn't recognize David because he was not looking like he normally did. And there might be some more in-depth explanations, and some of you might be able to explain to me very clearly why Saul did not recognize David. He was under a lot of stress. But at least on the surface, it sure feels like in one chapter, David is appreciated and in the next chapter, they don't even know who he is. In, in one chapter, he's doing this essential thing. And then the next chapter, it's, he's been forgotten. Life can be like that, can't it? You can pour your heart and soul into helping somebody, and they forget it all too soon. The people you do the most for won't always appreciate you as they should. I get that. It can be very difficult to stay motivated to help people and to do for people when it's like that. It's pretty discouraging when you're essential 
but unappreciated. And that can go in work situations, family situations, and everything in between. For Jesus' followers, we're led in on a little secret, though. Jesus told us that if people don't appreciate what we do, don't even worry about it. He said, don't even go into it looking for people to appreciate it. He, he says, don't even bother telling them what you did. He, he says, if you're going to do a good thing, don't sound a trumpet so everyone will look at you. Don't even worry about getting any credit at all. Because if you do get the gratitude of human beings, if you get it, that'll be all you get. He said, though, if you do what you do, not because someone will thank you or applaud you or show you appreciation, if you do it because it's right, then he's the one who will reward you. And his reward for doing what's right is a lot better than a pat on the back, if you even get that much from people. Because let's face it, there's some people who won't even give you that much. Don't worry about it, though. The Apostle Paul came along a little later and expanded on that thought. And he, he told us, that whatever we do, don't just do it because it's your job or it's expected or it's a responsibility. Do it, don't just do it for the paycheck or the praise or because somebody is making you do it. Whatever you do, it do it as unto the Lord. And I understand that to mean do it like the Lord himself has asked you to do it and you're doing it as a personal favor to him. Now, the world may or may not see you as essential, and even if they do, they won't always appreciate you like they should. So I want to give you some encouragement. God uses these situations and seasons to prepare us for greater things ahead. I want you to think about David. David did not step into his destiny right away. We might wonder why a guy destined to sit on the throne is relegated to a role of a servant. But there's a purpose for this season of being essential but unappreciated. He was being prepared. It's very true that God did not put him on a throne, but God put him in the throne room, and he's there listening all the time, and he's learning how to be a king. Or if he's watching Saul, he's learning some things about how not to be a king. David didn't throw any spears at anybody in his throne room. He learned, don't do that. He learned how to not lead that way. But God, is, God was preparing him. Maybe that's true for me and you too. There may be parts of your life right now you're not too happy with. I get it. You might be in a situation or a season of life where you don't feel so appreciated, where you don't feel so fulfilled, but God might have you where you are right now to prepare you for what he's going to do next. I know that's been true in my story. When I was called to ministry, I was 19 years old, I was young, and I didn't know anything. I thought I knew stuff, but I didn't know, I didn't know any. Like every other 19-year-old kid, I thought I knew, but I didn't know. I expected if I'm called to ministry, then I would go that normal path. You know, right out of high school, you go to Bible college, you go to seminary, and you, you start preaching, you know, you do those things. That's what I expected to do. That is not the path that I went. After I got the call to preach, God sent me to a pine tree field. A pine tree field to work my butt off. I thought I knew what hard work was. I did not know what hard work was until I had to keep up with some of these young guys. Philip is shaking his head. He knows because he's, he's still got to keep up with some of these guys. 
some some guys I had to work with, good Christian men. I learned about hard work. I learned to appreciate some folks in different cultures. We had some people from different countries and different cultures who worked there. I learned the value of hard work, and I, I, I learned some fellowship with some people who were different from me. After that, I went to work for a radio station. Believe it or not, I spent about a year and a half as a radio DJ. I didn't make much money. Calm down. It was not glamorous. It was an AM station in Galax, Virginia. That's how glamorous it was. But I learned a skill there that I didn't have before. I learned to think and talk at the same time. That's not something I could do. Now, some of y'all already could do that, and I appreciate you for that. I couldn't think and talk at the same time. Now I kind of sort of can. That's handy, right? So I was there for a while, and then I left the radio station, and I went to work for an insurance company, kind of like one of those old-school insurance companies where the agents would come to your house, okay, sometimes even like collecting your insurance premium. I don't even know if that... That company's probably not even doing that anymore. That was really old school. I got comfortable going into people's homes, visiting with them, all right? I got to go into the homes of people who were different than me, people who had, were of different races than me, from different places than me. I got to go into homes that were all over the socioeconomic spectrum. I went into mansions, basically, in Roanoke, and then I went over to Freeze, and I went in some places that wasn't mansions, all right, on some of them back roads. And I learned how to be comfortable in both. Didn't sell a lot of insurance. Didn't make a lot of money, but I sure prayed for a lot of people. I got used to going to people's houses and praying for them. Because the one thing about life insurance is you've got to convince people that they're going to die, <laughs> and they need to do something about it. And that kind of prepared me for what I was going to do as a pastor, because i got to convince somebody that this life don't last forever, and you better be prepared for the next. So that kind of, you know, I'm just selling a little different kind of life insurance now, so to speak. I didn't sell a lot of the other kind, but hopefully we can introduce some people to Jesus now. And I left there. <laughs> After I was a life insurance agent, I was not good at it. I was not making money at it, and so it couldn't last. I went to a factory. I worked in a factory out here at Meadows of Dan. I worked at Micrometrics. Seems like everybody within about a 50-mile radius has pulled a tour of duty in that place. And I was stuck in a very little cubicle doing very tedious work that I was not good at. But I was there by myself for eight hours a day. And I borrowed the Bible on audio cassette. I just confessed my age right now. I know that. I borrowed the Bible on audio cassette, and I would listen to the Bible for like eight hours a day. And I learned how to talk to the Lord for hours at a time. And I got closer to God right then. That was my story. I, I didn't go off to Bible college. It just it didn't work that way. Now, I know what you're thinking. Man, this boy can't keep a job. I hear you. I hear you. Um, I've done a lot better since then, you know. I haven't had any, I haven't been job hopping in a long, 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 long time. But God used, the reality was that these were steps in a bigger plan that God was unfolding. Because the next step after that factory where I learned to talk to God was a country church called Meadows of Dan Baptist Church. And I was in my early 20s. I didn't have a college degree to my name. But the Lord was with me, and he blessed it, and it was amazing. We were there a long time, and God, and you know, even some, some of my favorite folks I met over there. I met James and Debbie over there. They moved over this way now, and they're part of Recreate. Man, I have so many friends over there. God blessed it so, so much. You know, I shouldn't have been ready for that, should I, Debbie? I shouldn't have been ready 
to be pastor there. I shouldn't have. But God had prepared me, just not in the normal way. Now, before you all wonder, yes, I went on. I've been to Bible college. I've got several theological degrees. But as helpful as they have been, that's not what really prepared me for my calling. It was God putting me in places that I didn't really want to be. Places where I, sometimes I struggled, sometimes I felt appreciated, and I certainly worked awfully hard, but God used them. If you're stuck in a place where you don't feel like you're getting a chance to reach the potential that God has put in you, I want to encourage you in this. If you are in a place or a season where you feel like your contribution is not appreciated like it should be, I want to encourage you, watch carefully. God may be preparing you for what comes next. And once you've embraced the lessons of the current season, maybe you'll move on to the next one. You are essential to the purposes of God. You might believe that, but what you need to believe is this. God is doing essential things in your life as well. It may not feel like it. It may not look like it. But God is doing something. I don't know what he's preparing you for, but he knows. He knows. What I really want to encourage us to do after we've had this crazy year that we've had, we need to remember that God is always at work, even on rainy days. He's at work. And we need to trust in him. So maybe what we need to do right now is just say, Lord, I do trust you. I do trust you that even if I don't feel so appreciated, even though what I'm doing is essential, that I will trust you and I know you're doing something with it. And more than anything, what I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, man, you got to settle that. You need Jesus in your heart and your life because this whole business about the Holy Spirit really only comes into play when you've got Jesus. That, that needs to be settled. So let's all go to the Lord in prayer right now. If you pray with me, I'll pray for you and you pray for, for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we're able to do here. Lord, out here in this parking lot, in this rain, this is not what we planned. There are struggles and hardships of this season we never anticipated. And all of us here who are part of this, the people listening later on through the podcast or watching through the YouTube, Lord, this year and life in general has thrown stuff at us that we didn't see coming. And in so many things, we don't always feel appreciated Lord, help us to see that you appreciate us. Motivate us to do the right thing. Lord, I want to pray for those who hear this, who have never trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that they would do so, that they would call upon his name and ask for forgiveness of sins and ask him to be Savior and Lord. And for those who have and for everyone, I pray that you would remind us constantly that you are at work. You are doing mighty things. And this might be a season of preparation for the incredible things that are to come. Lord, I pray that you will bless us this week as we're headed into Easter. Easter is going to look different than we expected. But God, I pray it will be greater than we expected in so many ways. Thank you for the opportunity to share the gospel in this open air. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so thankful for each of you folks. So glad you're coming to be a part of this. It's kind of interesting. Some of you have been around and part of this from the very beginning. A handful of y'all were literally sitting in my living room on a Sunday night like four or five years ago. It's 2017. So wild we've come so far. And some of you just got here as quick as you could. I'm thankful for every single 
one of you. And uh, I'm going to ask for your help now. If anybody feels comfortable doing so, they tell us a rainstorm is about to come at a, 11, and it might get pretty bad. If anybody has got a moment and can uh, slap on a mask and help us carry any of our equipment in the building, that would be excellent. But in the meantime, God bless you guys. Happy Easter week. Invite some folks to come. If people are nervous about coming to church on Easter, say, well, will you sit in the car with me? That's pretty low stakes, right, participating in a service. You don't have to even be brave enough to go in a building. You can just come on inside. Continue to pray for our community and our world and recreate church. God bless you guys.